0: This is the Reading Instruction Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson, and today's topic is a big one, understanding reading from a cognitive perspective. So, let's take a look. First of all, this is an important concept. We use knowledge stored in long-term memory, and I'll explain what that is, to help us understand data in short-term memory. For example, If you are about to enter a restaurant, your brain has already made predictions as to what this restaurant will look like, based on all your restaurant experiences that you have had in your life. This restaurant data is called schema, the plural of which is schemata, and this is schema theory. Schemata are the file folders in your head related to specific concepts and experiences. You use Schemata to help you understand what you are experiencing but also predict what you are about to experience. And this has everything to do with reading, so don't drift off on me here. Now, the neurocognitive model of reading is similar, and I've described this before, in that it recognizes there is an interaction between the information contained in the cortex and the information contained in the text during the reading process there's a two-way flow of information as readers use both information on the text and in the cortex to construct meaning as they read and reading is not sounding out words reading is creating meaning with text we read with our brain during the act of reading we use the knowledge stored in our cortex, the schema as well as higher cognitive processes to create meaning with print. The information in our head transacts with what's on the page to help us create meaning. So instead of the bottom-up movement that the phonological model stresses, there is a simultaneous two-way flow of information. In other words, we use what's in our head to help us make sense of what's on the page. To illustrate, I can read books related to literacy Pretty easy with fairly high rates of comprehension not because I'm so smart because I'm not not very smart at all but because I have lots of literally literacy related knowledge just laying around in my head but when I take this same brain to try to read something about financial planning or grain exports from from Bolivia I read much slower There are many more fixations on individual words, and my comprehension is fairly low. Now, it's the same brain encountering both texts. The only difference is what's in the brain. In today's podcast, we are going to look at cognitive learning theory. This is a derivative of cognitive psychology, and it helps us understand how our mind functions during the process of reading. This perspective helps us greatly in understanding reading instruction and informing our teaching practice. So let's look first at the information processing model. This is sometimes called the standard memory model and it's central to understanding cognitive learning theory. It describes how we take in information as well as how we analyze, organize, store, and retrieve information. So let's look at perception, sensory registrar, and sense memory. Stimuli are the sense data we encounter in the form of sights, sounds, smells, feels, and taste. Perception is the detection of stimuli through our five senses. Now, we are bombarded with millions of stimuli Every day. However, if we were to attend to all the stimuli we encountered, we'd soon be overwhelmed. Thus, we have to make decisions about which stimuli to which we attend. Attention is the choices we make about which perceived stimuli we allow into consciousness in order to assign meaning to it. In any given situation, you decide which particular stimuli upon which to focus. Right now, as you're listening to this podcast, you're choosing to attend to the auditory stimuli you're encountering, hopefully, in the form of phonemes, words, and sentences. Hopefully you're ignoring the sounds in the background, the sound of your own breath, or the feel of the clothes against your skin. You are making choices about blocking some stimuli while allowing others to move into your consciousness. If you did not make these choices, comprehending the words and ideas that your ears encounter would be very difficult. Sense memory, sometimes called sensory register, is when this original sense data are registered. Now, this has an unlimited capacity sense memory. However, it's of very short duration. It retains an exact copy of what is perceived, but this lasts only for one to three seconds. Short-term memory, let's look at this next. While the terms short-term memory and working memory are often used synonymously, technically they are different. Short-term memory is like a small holding pen for perceived data from sense memory. Short-term memory has a limited capacity. Most people can hold seven bits of information. However, some can hold up to 9 bits of information and some only 5. Thus, we call it 7 plus or minus 2. Now, that's not a lot of information. Working memory is the space within short-term memory where you actually process or do something with the data that is there. How do we hold on to more bits of information in short-term memory? Chunking enables you to hold more information here. This is the process of organizing bits of data into meaningful larger holes in order to make more efficient use of the limited space in short-term memory. For example, I tend to use a lot of analogies and metaphors in my writing and teaching. This is a form of chunking because it's much easier to hold on to an image or a concept in short-term memory or even in long-term memory than it is a series of facts. So connecting new facts or concepts to known images or concepts via analogy or metaphor makes it much easier to understand it and then remember it. So, learning to read. This is how chunking affects reading and reading instruction. If reading instruction leads students to focus on individual letters, comprehension becomes much more difficult because the student is able to hold on to just a few words or ideas or letters in short-term memory as they're creating meaning with text. And this is exactly what the traditional letter-by-letter phonics instruction does. It focuses on individual letters. But if reading instruction instead asks students to use minimal letter cues and instead rely on semantic and syntactical cues, comprehension becomes much easier because students are able to focus on words and ideas. You could have it hold seven Letters in short-term memory, seven words in short-term memory, or seven ideas in short-term memory. Ideas are bigger than letters. Which one should you hold on to? Focusing ideas enables readers to create meaning with text more efficiently. To illustrate this point even further, consider the process you are using right now to listen and comprehend this podcast. As you encounter the words that come out of my mouth, you are not attending to each individual phoneme or sound. You're using only minor phonemic cues and instead using context clues, words, and sentence syntax, as well as the ideas in your head in many cases you are skipping the word entirely you're not attending to it or listening to it you're catching the idea this is what real readers do when they're creating meaning with text they do not read letter by letter thus if letter by letter reading is the only method to use to teach students how to create meaning with print you are going to slow down you're going to their progress rather than to speed up or enhance their progress. Now, working memory is found within short-term memory. This is the workbench where information is held in short-term memory as you do something with it. Whereas short-term memory is a passive receptacle, working memory is an active space within short-term memory used to work with information. So, what types of things might you do on this cognitive workbench? Well, you could add to data, analyze data, organize data, restructure data, or make connections. Right now, as you are listening to me talk about reading, you are searching through the file folders in your head, the schemata, and pulling up what you know about this subject, including your own experiences reading, learning to read, and teaching reading you're connecting that old knowledge with this new information you hear and based on this old knowledge and your reasoning process you're analyzing, evaluating and deciding which information is interesting and useful, which is relevant and which is totally kooky when you find some interesting or important ideas that little person in your head will put these in the right file folder and put the folder in place in the file cabinet in your head, where you can find them again when they're needed. This is what working memory does. Working memory is also the place where metacognition takes place. Meta is a Greek word meaning to transcend, or to go beyond, above, or higher. Cognition means thinking. Metacognition is to go beyond merely thinking to think about thinking or monitor one's thought process. Metacognition in the act of reading means to monitor your comprehension. You're asking questions such as, do I understand what I'm reading? Does this make sense? What's the important idea? Do I agree with this? Do I need to reread this paragraph again? What's the main point of this chapter? How is this like something else I have learned? Metacognition then involves thinking about thinking, checking for understanding, or monitoring your thoughts. Through explicit instruction and activities, we can improve students' metacognitive skills. And I've discussed this in other podcasts. Automaticity, another important term. This is the act of performing a procedure or operation without thinking about it or with very little conscious awareness. This occurs when the steps or processes involved with a particular skill become automatic. For example, as we drive, most of us do not have to consciously think about pressing the gas pedal or the brake pedal or turning the wheel. We respond to the curves and the stop signs we encounter automatically with little Conscious Attention. If we had to devote a lot of our attention to each of these functions, we would have less attention to devote to driving conditions and we'd be far more likely to drive into something. Automaticity. Likewise, when I play my guitar, I do not have to think consciously about each individual finger movement with the right-hand strumming pattern or the left-hand chord placement. The strumming patterns and the finger positions have become automatic, enabling me to concentrate on other dimensions of the music, such as the nasal sound of my voice. If I had to consciously attend to each finger placement, I'd be playing at a very rudimentary level for a long time. Automaticity in reading usually refers to word recognition skills, Recognizing words automatically will enable students to devote more space and short-term memory to comprehending what they are reading. It also can refer to or uh, relate to comprehension skills, and I'll talk about that in another podcast. However, back to word identification. There are a variety of strategies that can be used to help students identify words automatically, as they read. And just like learning to drive a car, automaticity comes with practice. Hence, therefore, thus, an effective research-based strategy is to simply have students practicing reading every day. As I've said many times, many places, we should not think about it as reading class, but reading practice. Alright, let's look at long-term memory. Long-term memory has an almost unlimited capacity to store information for an almost unlimited duration. This means that everything you have experienced is tucked away in a file cabinet in your mind someplace. But if this is true, you ask, why is it that you can't remember certain things? Why do I forget to take the garbage out on Wednesday nights? Why did I get so many wrong on my ninth grade history test? It's not a matter of storage, rather of retrieval. That is, the information is still in our memory, we just had a hard time getting access to some of it. During the process of reading, your mind is constantly making predictions about what you are reading based on information in short term memory. That's why it's important for beginning or struggling readers to read about things with which they are familiar. As you're reading, the three cueing systems, semantic, syntactic, and phonological are used to recognize words and to confirm, revise, or reconstruct these predictions as you read. Alright, transition. Let's look at the two-way flow of information. In the information processing model, there is a two-way flow of information. In previous podcasts, I've described this two-way flow from a neurological perspective. This concept is going to be elaborated here from a cognitive perspective. So, long-term memory to short-term memory. As I've kind of implied before, we use the knowledge stored in long-term memory to help us understand data in short-term memory. The more knowledge we have about a particular topic, the easier it is to process and encode new related related data. Encode, in cognitive psychology, means to store information in long-term memory. For example, as a literacy professor with a keen interest in how children learn to read I have a lot of knowledge in my head related to literacy. When I encounter new information about literacy topics, I'm able to quickly understand and encode it without much memory loss. I can do this better than most people, not because I'm so gosh darn smart, because I am not, rather because the file cabinet in my head contains files that are jammed full of literacy information this provides a rich context for understanding and predicting. But when I encounter a text related to literacy that little man in my head knows exactly what to look for, where to store new information, how it relates to other things in long-term memories. But when I encounter information in a text about something of which I know little, like financial planning, encoding is slow, inefficient, And labored. There's much more memory loss and very little understanding. This is because there's no related file folders in my head to help me make predictions or connections. The little man in my head does not know how this new information connects to other things. He has to create new file folders and try to make connections, new connections, as he analyzes this information. So here's an experiment you can try sometime. Go to a library. Find a book on a subject you know quite a bit about and another book on a subject of which you know little. Look for books written at approximately the same reading level. Count off 200 words. Read each out loud as quickly as you can and have a friend time you. How did your times compare? Then pick one page at random from each book and read silently. After each, list as many things as you can as you remember. What do you discover? All right, long-term memory to perception. In the same way, the knowledge in long-term memory enhances our ability to perceive things as well. During the process of reading, stored knowledge enables us to perceive important words quickly. Again, when I read topics about literacy, I'm able to perceive literacy words microseconds faster than I I can when reading words about financial planning. When reading unfamiliar material, my eyeballs go back and forth with more fixation on more words. Again, it's the knowledge in long-term memory that enhances my ability to perceive words. So, this brings us back to the all-important question, So what? Couple of tips. Number one, help students attend to relevant data. Some students, children, and adults are not able to block out unwanted stimuli. This can make learning to read difficult. They attend to too many things in the environment and and they're not able to concentrate. In a classroom, study carols can be used to help these students tune out unwanted stimuli in order to concentrate. As well, you need to teach your students to find a quiet place to study or to read with no TV, music, and limited visual stimuli. This is something I even teach my college students. How to study. Find a quiet place. Use ear guards if you need to tune out the unrelated or unrelevant data and stimuli. Two, use paper to extend short-term memory. Paper is a magical device that can hold ideas indefinitely. Teach students how to use it as a note-taking device because it enables you to see all the ideas in front of you instead of trying to hold them in short-term memory as you process them. Taking notes. Note-taking is an external and permanent form of the work that occurs in working memory. So, taking notes as you listen or read or study helps you stay actively engaged with, in what you are reading or reading about, but it also extends and enhances short-term memory. It helps you process and understand what you are hearing or what you are reading. The third tip is read interesting and familiar things. Now this has been mentioned in previous podcasts, but it's so important I'm going to repeat it here with a couple of new applications. If you want to help students learn to read, let them practice reading things they are both interested in and about which they know. Do not insist they read Hamlet simply because it's good literature, quote-unquote. The words, the structure of the language, and the concepts are unfamiliar to most. This makes reading Hamlet far less likely that students can use semantics and syntax to help them read and it guarantees that students will find reading frustrating, boring, and irrelevant. The most familiar and interesting things to read would be stories that students write themselves. Speech-to-text and text-to-speech software is available and can help students write and publish their own stories. Encourage them to illustrate their stories using pictures, okay? They can be taken from the internet or pictures that they themselves take. You can also create books out of their published stories and let students practice reading what other students have written. And the fourth tip, align literacy learning experiences with students' natural desires and inclination. Encourage email, tweaks, and text messaging. These are forms of writing. Writing enhances reading. With these forms of social media, students are able to practice listening for letter sound associations as well as reading and responding to the messages of others. Second, look for games and videos that have small amounts of text in them. And finally, comic books are a very effective resource to use to entice adolescent students with reading disabilities to read. They have interesting illustration, lots of action, and minimal dialogue. Even if students are not able to recognize all the words, they can use the sequence of the pictures of comic books and graphic novels to help them carry the story along. Eventually, they will begin to use more letter and word cues than picture cues. All right, this has been the Reading Instruction Show. Today, we have looked at reading from a cognitive perspective